Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx. Welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, I have a wonderful, beautiful, talented, articulate, attractive, oh gosh, it, it sounds like I'm trying to set her up. My friend Cassandra James is my guest today. She's known for her work on General Hospital. She's known as a trans activist. And she is first trans actress to portray a trans character on daytime. She's the chief of staff at General Hospital. <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the actors. We're going to talk a little bit about coming up in the world as nightlife entertainers and how that made us fighters <laughs> nowadays in our careers in the industry. All that and more today on Hi Jinx. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new Hi Jinx. M. Oh. Mom! I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag, to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by actress and activist Cassandra James. Hi, Cassandra. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> you know when you have two words so similar, like actress and activist, and then you want to put the T from the activist at the end of actress, so you say actress. Yes. <laughs> do you ever do that kind of stuff? Of course. Gruel, right? Isn't that some mean <laughs> yeah, girl? Yeah, yeah, Gruel. <laughs> so how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm so happy to speak to you. I like we go way back. It's kind of really, really fun that we're doing this. <laughs> I know I'm as well. Um, it's been when was uh, we met at a drag con a billion years ago, right? No, maybe in Toronto at like Toronto? you were. Yes, you were in Toronto, like performing, and I think I thought think, we met at DragCon. I might be conflating two experiences. <laughs> no, I think that was years later. We okay, like, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. You came with like a Battle of the Seasons, and then I think uh, we all we all went out. For well, breakfast. then I was yeah, I was still drinking. Then those memories are all mashed. They've all been put in a blender. <laughs> I, I, I'm lucky if I can pull a, chunks of potato out of that. <laughs> yeah. Mash. Just throw, but anyway. Throw a little butter on it. Yeah. Five years, clear as a bell. Anyway. <laughs> so um, it's been a long time since we've seen each other in real space. And for those who don't know, um, you are a big actress in the soap opera world. That is consistent, steady work. And um, you were the 
first trans actress to portray a trans character in a hospital. Does that mean that there were trans characters before that were played by cis people? Or just, we're just making it very clear. <laughs> yeah. So the way that I always talk about my work in the daytime categories, I'm the first trans woman to recur on daytime television. Mm. And it's like, you know, the craziest and coolest thing. And and yes, yeah. our stories have been told on the soaps. I think, you know, soaps have always kind of pushed the agenda, like, you know, they've always been at the forefront of representation mm-hmm. and, may, you know, we've definitely been sensationalized in those spaces over time. And and I'm part of healing and like making change for the better, I think, in, in that space. And it's really, really yeah. cool that I get to do that. Yeah, that, it, I mean, it's, as are a big part of lots of cultures and it's it's amazing just that they have you know they are like just ever present on new episode like every day it's a crazy it's a crazy model right <laughs> i mean i i i think it's such an interesting exercise as an actor you know like mm-hmm. i i work with actors who have played their characters for 25 years Mm-hmm. And so they don't have to like create the backstory. They played it. They <laughs> literally played the backstory. They have a whole childhood, a whole life that they can draw from. And, you know, I've been playing Terry, Dr. Terry Randolph mm. for five years now on the mm. show. And when I'm introducing my work to people who don't know, you know, I, I'm able to also chart back and be like, well, I started as this and then I fought for the promotion and now I'm this and I've had this love interest and this, you know, like I've really like gone through a whole journey on the show. That is so interesting. I have, you know, I have never, well, I guess besides Jinx, (laughs) I was going to say, I've never spent so long with a character, but um, (laughs) it's of a character and more of a demon that um, possesses me. And all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so another thing that's uh, really significant for work in daytime television is that it is so mainstream and it is so directed towards a demographic that probably doesn't get a lot of on the trans experience in their day-to-day life. Nespa? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always, the way I talk about it is I, I really feel like I'm on the front lines of representation, mm-hmm. you know, because I think you're right. The the daytime audience is statistically more conservative, you know, and and those people that watch that show every day, they're, I may I'm likely to be and and may be the only trans person that they're interacting yeah. with, you know? And so I, it's a great responsibility and yeah. it hasn't been easy. It's been a very isolating experience because daytime is sort of sits in its own world and, and we have our own, you know, cons and our own communities and our own awards and so it's very very separate from a lot of the rest of Hollywood but I think it's really important and our show is 60 years old yeah and there are people who have hooked their kids on it who are hooking their kids on it and you know they yeah I just think it's really really important the work that I'm doing and, and I and I take it very seriously absolutely well you know I always say 
the more representation out there, the better. Like, because even if the work isn't for you, like, even if the product isn't for you, it's for someone. And that person is also getting to about the trans experience, you know? Like, I think that there is a lot of LGBTQ content being created these days comparatively to, you know, 10 years ago. And some of it, I believe to be people, and some of it is for queer people, you know? <laughs> like, some of it is, here is queer content for straight people to digest and have kind of an introduction to our world, you know, like maybe a <laughs> think of it as a soft opening understanding. And then there's queer content that doesn't hold any punches, and that's more for fellow queer people. And then there's, of course, content that's for everyone that, like, we all can enjoy. But, you know, when you kind of, like, break it down, everything has to be for you. It's just good that it's out there. You know? yeah. <laughs> I really agree. And I, and you, I mean, I think what's really cool about general hospital because of its legacy you know i mean i get messages from all kinds of trans yeah. women and trans people and a lot of parents you know they'll yeah. write me about their kids who've transitioned and that they oh i every time you're on i make my daughter watch you know and like <laughs> and and so i i hear that for sure that it's like you know definitely geared towards a more conservative market and demographic but i also know that there's there's queer people who are so exhilarated by oh, my presence absolutely well no i mean yes uh i didn't uh, i hope <laughs> no 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 you're fine <laughs> I, I always try to contextualize everything for any kind of listener who's listening you know i i know that like i see stuff all the time really happy that that exists and that's enough like let's just all <laughs> you know what i mean so any um any listener listening I, I i'm just hoping that uh they're hearing that uh representation is representation <laughs> and it is important um yeah. uh and especially because okay so you were talking about your queer audience as well i mean i think we know that a lot of queer people in conservative um, areas. And then, you know, they might migrate to places where uh, it's easier to be themselves. But while growing up, finding those, those, that representation anywhere you can. I mean, there was no, there was nothing for me except for Will and Grace. And I had to rent Queer as Folk. And my mom would walk in on the porn scenes and go, I knew it. I knew it. It was a sex show. <laughs> <laughs> I was the same. I used to like, my TV stand in my mom's apartment was on a, on a, on wheels. And I used to roll, I used to roll it into my doorway in my bedroom. And I knew that I could watch Showtime at volume eight without uh, wait without waking her up <laughs> and queer, queer as folk was major for me yeah, that was, yeah oh, and will and grace to, just to see glimpses of a community that i knew existed you know like portland i came out at like 13 it wasn't long before i was like queer with a capital q um but 
for those moments before that. You know, I just think that that's part of what is so significant, so significant of TV and film. Like it really can save lives because when you are feeling stifled and then you see something that resonates with you in TV or film, it's enough to know sometimes that they're, when I saw Hedwig and the Angry Inch, it was like, it spoke to me so differently than anything had ever spoken to me before because it's such a unique experience story. You know, it's not the typical trans experience story. It's a very unique experience. And the resolution that Hedwig came to in the end sparked something inside of me. And for me, my It Gets Better film, you know? Because <laughs> I just knew that there was, even though Hedwig was a fictional character, I knew that there was another person out there, John Cameron Mitchell, who wrote Hedwig, who was grappling with similar uh, questions, you know? <laughs> and that was enough to know that once I get out of uh, being stuck as this phony straight version of myself, I'm going to get to meet someday. And now he's a friend. <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean, for me, it was like Rent, you know? My mom oh, absolutely. Took, my mom took me to see a production of Rent, and I thought that was like, I was like, I wanted to be in that world. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, these people are artists, and they're committing their lives to artistry and they they love who they love and you know I everyone always wanted me to be angel and I was like no honey I'm a Mimi trust me <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm boy crazy are you kidding <laughs> I have in my notes here um a statement you made uh to that point uh, that uh growing up when you were watching movies everyone knew who you were meant to play in, in the movie and who you were I really resonate with that. My whole life, it's like I've loved the female characters. It was no, no one is shocked in my life when, you know, when I became a drag queen, when I, when I came out as non-binary, like no one in my life is shocked. Well, I, I, you can see, but they won't be able to see on the podcast. But I've got a picture of Sarah Michelle Geller in my uh, living in my bedroom, uh -huh. and these are the Charlie's Angels here: <laughs> Demi Moore and Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and then on my TV stand, I've got the Queen Natalie Portman. <laughs> and I grew, you know, I grew up watching. Mm -hmm in the, the early 2000s, like those, those like Hollywood blockbusters, you know, like all those big films. And I wanted to be a Hollywood waif one day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be like Gwyneth Paltrow and, yeah. you know, Shakespeare in love. I was classically trained, you know, so mm -hmm. all these like, and, and I, I totally identified with all these amazing female characters and, now I'm like living in Hollywood, making my dreams come true. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Talk about manifesting. You know, I, I, I say often my biggest privileges in life is that I just knew like out the womb what I wanted to do. Like there was never a question. And when you have that kind of, when you have that kind of tunnel vision, like, nope, I'm going <laughs> to. 
it's um it can propel you a lot you know it can motivate you through those harder moments <laughs> i think that you know without without that passion and drive i don't know where i'd be because life has been really hard and i've really had to uh, you know, work very hard to stay the course. And I think that if I didn't have something to ground myself to my artistry, my storytelling, you know, the, 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 that it, I don't know where I'd be because yeah, it's been like life is sort of, and which I think it's supposed to, the, yeah. you know, I, the more I heal, I do radically accept that life is a struggle and life is meant to throw you off course. And the challenges are, meant to take you your spirit to places that you never thought you'd visit you know but I, I think being a trans actor being Asian being a woman you know there's been really really real obstacles in my way and I'm so grateful for that that sort of singular focus in my in my life I, I have very big dreams and I know exactly what I want out of this life that's beautiful. Well, you, the listeners won't have seen it, but you did a little like back and forth motion with your hands <laughs> while you were describing knocks you off course. And immediately I was thinking like a rock tumbler, you know, like, I don't know why. I don't know why. But as you were. Well, look, so <laughs> I have. So this I got this. I have a crystal tattoo on my left forearm and I got this when I came out of this trance. And, mm -hmm. and I always say like a piece of coal undergoes <laughs> great pressure to become a diamond. We, too, as trans folks, often undergo great pressure before we become brilliant to the light. I absolutely. Uh, that's way better than my rock tumbler analogy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but same, same but different. Same, same but different. Um, so now, Cassandra, forgive my ignorance. Um, I, I, as you mentioned, the soap opera world, it, it, it's a different sect of Hollywood. However, are you part of SAG? Are you currently on strike? Is soap opera, it, it, that's all being affected as well? Soap opera yeah. writers are also on strike? Well, so it's very complicated. And because, you know, because... <laughs> complicated? All, Nothing yeah, about this is. strike has been complicated. <laughs> we're all together, aren't we? Yeah. You know, and so there are definitely exemptions and there mm. are, you know, because there's a, there's a specific, so in the bureaucratic actuality of the thing, there's a specific mm. contract that we're renegotiating. And there are lots of shows, productions, jobs that are not covered by that contract. Mm -hmm. And the daytime category is one of them. So the soap, as far as I know, is going to stay in production, but it doesn't work that simply, right? Because mm. we're all in this together and and solidarity is a real thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm recurring on the on the soap. So, you know, when I was hired five years ago, uh, my uh, manager at the time, you know, it the email that the, that he got said, you know, uh, two episodes with potential four more episodes. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, I've never been contracted on that show. Um, each offer that comes in is sort of like uh, uh, news to me. I don't mm -hmm. have, you know, I don't really have um, 
after five years, I've had to learn to manage my expectations about my presence mm-hmm. on the show. So I, I actually don't have any hold dates in my calendar. I ha- uh, we've been on break for the month of July, which is scheduled every year. We take a big, long summer break. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I'm a little bit out of out of the production zeitgeist at the moment. So I, I actually don't know. I don't know. There's so many of us on the show, so many of us, um, you know, desperate for work and wanting to to tell our, you know, get, come back to our characters. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a very busy, busy, amazing, large production. Uh, so I don't know. I don't uh, when this when while we're recording this, I don't actually know when and when and if I'll be back. I'm sure I will, but when? Not sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's I mean, it's a very. <laughs> I think the thing I'm most surprised at, but also not surprised at all, is the reaction to people who have nothing, nothing at stake in this. Like some people just reacting to actors, like, uh, oh God, I don't need to repeat it. It's like a lot well, of you actors know, uh, are, yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. a lot of actors are very frustrated because. Uh, they're being accused of being like uh, millionaires crying on the internet. And it's like, no, these are working class human beings. And then the people saying like the people, you know, like I, I wanted to specify that you absolutely can still support live entertainment. Um, and that's a great way to, because the business model is so different. It's a great way to support the artist where the artist is actually getting a, a completely different cut than what they would in streaming. So, like, I presume a lot of actors are going to be doing stand up and maybe doing some public appearances or whatever. And, um, you know, starting I, that OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we saw in the pandemic what the Queens resorted to. So now don't be surprised if some, <laughs> some of your favorite uh, uh, sitcom actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, so support the artists in other ways. Absolutely. But um, yeah, this is a it's a cuckoo time. I've certainly this is the first time been on strike and I'm like, texting my team every five minutes like I don't know what can I say this can I do this like I don't want to <laughs> that's what's really complicated about the whole thing you know I got yeah. a, a very expansive email from my publicist and and you know I think because because of the internet and technology and social media it's really mm-hmm. changed the way we can show up and take up space in this moment because shame is so present on the internet Mm -hmm. right and we love and and people jump to conclusions and they want to participate without all the information you know I went to um I went to Outfest I went to the opening ceremonies of Outfest uh last week and I felt like I couldn't post my red carpet pictures Mm-hmm. because, you know, the strike happened the the next day or like it had happened that day or something. And, yeah. you know, I, I was, I felt like I wasn't allowed to, you know, show, show my support of this amazing festival. And um, I have, I have a, a short that's in post-production. We don't know if, you know, the festivals are going to happen this fall. Like it's, everything is very, very up in the air and, and I'm, I'm relatively new to this business, you know, like I said earlier, like it's been a very isolating experience for me in the daytime category. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm running to catch up and I'm, 
you know, what I'm scrolling and listening to this actor talk about it. And I'm Googling and reading this article. And I mean, you know, it's a very unprecedented time and we just want, we just want to tell our stories. We just want to make art, you know, (laughs) and we want to be able to like live while we do that. You know, I don't want to work at a restaurant anymore. And yeah, exactly. Not, uh, I think what people, if you just focus, we don't want to be exploited. It doesn't matter how much the actor works. Like, I mean, I'm a live entertainer, I would say, first and foremost, who has some career in TV, film, and voice. I have, you know, like a couple jobs a year. I'm not making my living off of being a screen actor. However, when I work I want to know that I'm not being taken for a fucking ride, you know, like all like it's in. And then when you see um, and people are spreading what SAG asked for versus what the production companies like countered with, when you just look at it, I mean, like even think um, uh, better enforcement of honoring breaks and meal breaks and stuff like that. Basic, basic work stuff, basic what what everyone expects at their job. And it is like this, this um, request for breaks and food (laughs) is ignored so much that it had to be brought up in this strike, like better enforcement of not breaking these rules. No. (laughs) Like, they don't even want to, like, honor the fact that human beings need breaks and lunches and shit like that. And when I saw that, that's, like, all I fucking needed to see. It's, like, just want to be exploited. But the whole fucking thing is everything in America is exploitative. I mean, I think that's what's making a lot of people really angry about this issue is because they're seeing actors fight for this. What about my job? I'm being exploited. What about nurses and doctors? They're being exploited. And the answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. Everyone's being exploited, you know? And so that's why it's like, like right now, and then we support the next strike and the next strike, you know, or we all just band together and revolt. I don't know, but like obviously, <laughs> obviously the problem is not just actors and production companies. The problem is countrywide, and that's yeah. what I think people are getting so fucking worked up about, right? Uh, uh, yes, as as a as a trans person, as an artist, as a woman, I know that we have been in a, a boiling point civil war for a long time. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I think that the wealth disparity and the distribution of wealth classism, you know, like, I mean, they're just uh, the racism that this country was founded on that mm-hmm. still exists. You know, I think I think we are really, you know, I, a friend of mine told me that back back in the day, mm-hmm. the, a, a, a curse in like ye olden times was may you live in interesting times. And let me tell you, (laughs) we have all been cursed because we are living in some interesting times. I will say that for sure. Um, I, (laughs) you know, I feel really electrified right now. I feel very, 
you know, I, I as angry as I get, I also see the passion and the fight back. And when you learn about, hear about these kinds of moments in history, and you think, how did people like get through it, you know? <laughs> and now here we are at like a really, really, like you said, a boiling point. It feels like, um, I saw a meme yesterday. I feel like memes are how I express myself these days, <laughs> but I saw one that said something like, the next 10 years will be defined by billionaires um, under as pissed off the rest of us are. Open. <laughs> oh, Cassandra. Um, let's change. <laughs> let's change topics just so that the whole conversation doesn't. <laughs> About my trauma, my trauma, my trauma. <laughs> I mean, I love trauma bonding with you, but um, <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit. What was your career like on the way up to? in daytime and where do you see where would your hopes for your career going um from here on oh that's I love that you put the on the way up I feel like I'm just <laughs> getting started um I mean, talking about before now what yeah. led you to now and then where do you so on the way up I god I keep I feel like I keep just using colloquialisms that are coming off no, no, today, no. <laughs> so for me, you know, it all starts on my potty training toilet. Okay. There's home <laughs> movies. There's home movies of me before I'm even like verbal, right? Like before I'm even speaking and I'm pointing at the, the storybook, ooing and you know, just like <laughs> expressing feelings. And the book is upside down. Okay. So I'm not even, like, it's, I, the book She's isn't acting. even right side up. Yes. <laughs> I've been a storyteller since I was born. <laughs> I was in, you know, like community theater when I was a kid, dance classes, dance recitals, choir. I was a big choir kid. And I knew I wanted to study acting. So I went to theater school in Toronto, which, by the way, was such a coming, like, a, amazing experience because we felt they filmed queer as folk the original mm -hmm, queer as folk mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. toronto so me you know as a blossoming queer person moving to toronto and having my independence for the first time studying acting and also like living in the city that i you know was so aspirational to me mm -hmm. i was like oh there's the woodies here too how crazy is that <laughs> toronto is a very uh, it's a, it's a party town. <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of partying in my twenties there for sure. Um, Ooh. yeah. And a little and bit then, in my thirties. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I graduated from theater school and, you know, not a lot of people know this and I don't, I don't talk about it a lot because, um, I don't want to confuse people who watch, <laughs> who, who, um, who know me through the soap world, but mm -hmm. I am one of those trans women who found my authenticity through the art of drag. And I was doing, you know, I was in theater school, really struggling um, there with my gender. And I started doing drag extracurricularly to mm -hmm. engage in a sense of play that was mine. You know, I think those programs at the time, I don't know how they've shifted, but, you know, those acting programs are very binary. And I was, uh, you know, 
born in the wrong body. And so people perceived me a certain way. And I just knew that that wasn't, it didn't quite sit right for me, but I also, I, I wanted to try it. So I was, I was really committing to the work at theater school, but there was this mm-hmm. piece of me that, that I didn't feel like I was able to express. And so I, I found that in nightlife and I started working mm-hmm. in nightlife. And, and then when I graduated, I did lots of theater. There's this incredible theater company called Buddies in Bad Times Theater. It's North America's largest queer theater company. And I, I, kind of worked up there. I did their youth program and I ended up doing two shows in their main season. But the 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 at the core, I mean I I'm gonna be a movie star. So mm-hmm. I knew I needed to I was born in California. My mm-hmm. my dad got us a job when I was four that moved us to Vancouver. So I grew up in Canada. But I knew I wanted to come home to California to Hollywood and do film and TV. So I had a but I think I had to come out first. Mm-hmm you know? So I was really struggling with my authenticity and I started living full time. You know, I lived androgynously for many years. That's what, that was sort of the buzzword back then, mm-hmm. you know, not, mm-hmm. I, I had no idea what non-binary was at that time and, and, or even really transness, you know, like I just was kind of trying to figure it out and just mm-hmm. living authentically as I could. But I, I came out as trans in 2015 and started living full time. And I had a, I had plans to move to LA in 2016 and I, I, I got a, my back got injured and I tanked all my savings on my recovery. So mm-hmm. I didn't get to move until 2017. And my first job when I moved to LA was Alaska and Gia Gunn's music video <laughs> for Stun. <laughs> <laughs> and I met, I met Courtney Act. <laughs> um at that music video shoot and she had an extra room in her apartment and so I, I started I was kind of crashing in at her place while I was looking for an apartment in West Hollywood yeah I did a lot of music videos that first year <laughs> let me tell you and a lot of I was still performing in nightlife um, very few people know this. I used to go-go dance at the Abbey. Um, you know, I always say the lives I've lived. <laughs> Jinx. The lives I know. I've lived. And, <laughs> I, <laughs> and I've seen you at different... <laughs> <laughs> You started in around the same time as theater school. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Working in nightlife, but you know, yes, I yes. got a fake ID when I was 15. Okay. I, was okay. going to, I was going to raise. But did you have your you light, nightlife persona? Um, were you a nightlife entertainer in school? No. Okay. No, she was, she was born there. I was just speaking yesterday. We do a Q&A in my show before the show. Um, and uh, for the for the uh, VIP. And I, I didn't want to say that and have everyone be like, come into my show and be like, where was the Q&A? <laughs> it's, it's for the VIPs. <laughs> We're just going to cut we, all of that. We're no, going to we cut have all to be, of that. No, we have to be protective of our energy, you know, as artists. So, you know, you you only have the bandwidth for a certain number of Q and A's. It's fine. I hear you. I I I, I Listen, um, I was talking about how when I entered, thought I had to give up drag to be a serious actor, and 
Um, similarly to you, I've, uh, you know, I started drag at 15. I've always had a place to essentially my femininity is mm. how I would express that. You know, it's like before I started expressing my femininity day to day, before I came out as non-binary, before I came out as trans femme, you know, like uh, Jinx was where I stored all that. And she was this like somewhere safe to keep all of that. And so I always had that. And I thought I had to give that up to be an actor. And then immediately out of theater school, it was like cast as female roles or I was being cast as like nine-year-old boys, you know, <laughs> like I was playing kids and kids and old prostitutes mostly. Um, <laughs> and, and I realized everything I learned as a drag was coming back again. Like as soon as I left the environment of college and I was in the real world, it was like, okay, now I have the training of an actor, but I have to use my like wits and know-how. Like I I need to Jinx. think like a drag queen in this world because drag queens are so used to being just kind of pushed aside, disregarded, the bar not respecting you, the patrons not respecting you, drunk assholes being assholes. Just drag queens are fighters. And so I had the training of an actor, the fight of a drag queen, and I think it does wonders. <laughs> Jinx, I really, I, think, I really agree with you. You know, like I think that my, all, like my years in nightlife prepared me in in mm -hmm. countless ways. You know, like there's nothing. First of all, you're you're right. There's nothing. There's nothing so immediate as an audience who's like right here <laughs> and the yeah. stage is like, you know, a little four by six piece of plywood <laughs> that they laid down. And there's like, you know, there, you know, Lady Gaga always talked about how she like built her own lights when she was working in, in clubs because the clubs had no light. That's the disco <laughs> stick, right? She, she, she knew she had to light herself. Okay. Like, you know, there, there's nothing as scrappy as working in nightlife. And I really think that that made me really tough. Yeah. And then when I moved to LA, I inherited, you know, I was fresh in my second puberty. I was in, I inherited a great deal of misogyny and I now, mm -hmm. and I mean, you know, I was put through it the mm -hmm. last five years here in my personal life. And I, I survived a lot that, you know, I haven't really spoken about publicly but it's been a really really challenging and and at points in at really low points i would say to my support systems here in la like you guys don't know i used to be so tough i used <laughs> to be so like i'm where did where did that person go i used to be in charge of my career you know i used to like i would hire the dancers and i would design the the outfits and i would pick the songs and i would you know and i would I was commanding and controlling, you know, all of my storytelling. And I wrote one woman shows at the theater company. And, and I think that, you know, misogyny is real. And when I moved here, I, you know, the, a lot of people really tried to break me and, and I was a very vulnerable person. And I, I really struggled for a long time to find my agency and my worthiness and my power again. And I, I hear what you're saying about like looking back there at the, that sort of like that blooming moment when you first yeah. move away from your home, you know, from your environment and you like are in theater school and you're like working in nightlife. I mean, 
I, I'm so grateful and I, I want more of that in my life now, for sure. That energy, that yeah. scrappiness. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'll share something with you. It was eye-opening for my friend and then it was eye-opening for me because it was eye-opening for them. <laughs> but um, a friend of mine um, in the last year uh, stepped in the role as my assistant. Um, my old assistant is now my business manager. <laughs> Kenny got a promotion. And, How chic. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, my friend who has been my promotional photographer for a long time is now tour assistant. And he had never gone through airports with me, really. And um, I mean, like, you know, these days, I, I make jokes about it in my show about uh, how I'm called ma'am. Or, <laughs> you know, they don't really know. But typically people presume I'm female because of the way I dress, the way I present, you know, um, my je ne sais quoi, my joie de vivre. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, my friend had just never seen how one femme people get kind of treated by people at the airport. Then two, how, when they realize you're trans, like in the full body scanner, trans people are treated and <laughs> sort of like patting, patting the front of you with the back of their hand. It's so like, oh my gosh, it's brutal. And this one day I got so frustrated. I mean, I hate airports. I do talk about airports, but whatever. Um, I was so frustrated. And then I turned to my assistant and I said, I'm so sorry. You saw me get that frustrated. I, I hate when I get that way. And he said, I just never knew it was like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I, and then I didn't realize that oh my God, people didn't know it was like this. And that's when I started just, I, that's why I now have a 20 minute monologue of what it's like to be trans at the airport. <laughs> because well, I want people you. to know. <laughs> All representation matters. <laughs> we deserve that monologue <laughs> in the zeitgeist. <laughs> um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, I... I don't have valid travel documents right now. I can't go home. Yeah. I can't go home to see my family in Canada because it took five years for me to get a new birth certificate. And because of COVID, the LA passport office is not taking appointments. Oh. And to file your name change amendment, you have to file that particular paper in person to make sure that you're not a criminal who's trying to change their name for tax reasons or whatever. You know, we're lumped in with all those people. And yeah. so I really like bureaucracy and me as a trans person. I mean, it's, yeah. it's such a nightmare and it's so heavy. So my family, you know, my, I'm going to Washington state where my dad's family lives, you know, because that's, I have a real ID, thankfully, mm -hmm. which allows me to travel within the States, but I can't go home to Canada because it's such a bureaucratic nightmare mm -hmm. to get my travel documents just to fucking exist, right? Just in yeah. my in my authenticity, it's it's a lot. For, and I think you're right. People don't really understand and don't really know the day to day things that we're navigating. Especially, you know, yeah, it's really hard. It's the day to day that I think people need a little better understanding. I think we hear strokes. We hear 
we hear hormone therapy, we hear name change, we hear um, affirmation. Gender surgery. affirming care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, FFS. We hear the broad strokes, but we don't the minutia. And bureaucracy, the bureaucratic system, period. Fucking nuts, fucking aggravating as hell. If you're just, even if you're a cis white straight man, you know? <laughs> now imagine if, you know, when you're having to check all those boxes on the online thing and they don't have boxes that apply to you. And then on a you, website on that a hasn't website. been updated since <laughs> the 1980s, you know, and like, it's So crazy. you click the boxes you think they are expecting you to click and then you show up for your appointment for whatever. And they're like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> it's brutal. It really is. I mean, you know, I, my first boyfriend in LA, our first date, he took me to social security to file my, my, some of my papers. That was mm. our first date. And I, cause, <laughs> cause I was complaining. I was complaining on, you know, back, I, I don't do this anymore. And I think people still do this, but you know, like talking to the internet where you, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, talk, yeah. you know, where you like, you like, you have pull to the shout camera, into the void, selfie, selfie videos, you know? So I was like, I knew I had to go. I knew I had my appointment the next day. And I, I was like, talking to my phone and I said, does someone want to go with me? Will someone take me please? Because I don't want to go by myself. And he did. And that, that was our first date. <laughs> and then he took me to the DMV <laughs> after that. That was our second date. To get, my, to get my driver's license. That is very, very, I think that it was very cute. That is, uh, <laughs> that to me is the perfect example of trans amory. I, I, um, I, I, I learned. Take your girl to the DMV. <laughs> um, I was talking to Lady J a long time ago and I was like, what's a better phrase than like, you know, oh, I love cha trans chaser oh, oh, or, I love that. you know, femme fetishist or, you know, and, and she was like, I say trans. It's like, even though it sounds a little bit like a mechanic term. <laughs> I love it. Um, transamory. No, I know. Oh, I know. I know. But transam. Yeah. It sounds like transam, oh. right, Mama? I hear, yeah, I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, General Hospital. <laughs> Doctor, uh, I, I, I want to say the name correct. Doctor, it just says Doctor Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Terry Randolph. Doctor yes. Terry Randolph. I started out as a pediatric oncologist on this show, and then one of my storylines, I fought for promotion, and I became the co-chief of staff with my with my rival. <laughs> and then her, she left the show, and so her character died very tragically. And <laughs> and now I am the chief of staff. An Asian trans woman is the chief of staff at General Hospital on a I, show called General Hospital. I I abs that's incredible. Um, of cool. uh. Um, I was working with Millie Hobson, who um, is a soap opera actress in the UK on, um, what's it called? Um, oh, my God. Coronation Street. Yes. 
she was um, talking to me about soap opera acting. And I think, you know, I think the better trained you are as an actor, the better instincts you have as an actor, that's the only way you can make it in soap opera. Might be ridiculous, but that's why it requires good actors because you need people to commit. It's like Greek tragedy. You yes. need people to be able to commit to these larger than life things. And Millie was saying something like, um, this one day, I'm not gonna <laughs> what was I thinking? Um, she was like, um, uh, this one day uh, I was, uh, my mom died in the morning and I was a meth addict in the afternoon because <laughs> they had to film two episodes. And I was like, if you can do that as an actor, you could do fucking anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and for us, uh, GH, yeah. And guess what? You get to do it in one take too. <laughs> Cassandra <laughs> James, um, how do my listeners find you on the socials? Ah, Cassandra James, is, did I say art? Cassandra James. <laughs> it's at Cassandra, Cassandra James. <laughs> oh, now, now you've got me going. Oh, no. oh we're really losing it. Okay, it's at well because I fucking hate the internet. That's why I don't even want. I don't even want you to know. So, at Cassandra James with an underscore. There, I didn't get the original. There's an underscore at the very end. But I do have a little blue check mark. So that, that counts for something, I guess. Um, like fucking at my face. I think, I think, get your own name was was the best thing I've ever done. The funniest thing uh, that's ever mission. happened on this. It's no, your it's mission the, all along. It's hands down the funniest thing that's ever happened <laughs> on this. No, I love yeah. you much. Um, my compulsory questions for you. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Here we go. Who is your celebrity crush today? Today? Oh my gosh. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. I, I'm honest with you, I liked Twinkie Jake better than Big Buff Daddy Harry Jake. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down for all the Jake. <laughs> Jake, Jake all over. Yeah. Um, who's my I like celebrity? that he's a bit of a softy, you know? Like yeah. I, I, you can tell he is sensitive. Call me. Um, <laughs> and Tom Holland. I really can't get over it. I He's so cute to me. Tom Holland is Tom really Holland seems cute. like a nice person, right? Like, he seems like a nice guy. You know what it is? It's the way that he, like, dotes and is so devoted to Zendaya. That is, mm. like, BD. that's BDE for me. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Worship. It's, like, the reverence there is uh -huh. very attractive. That, that... That's mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it's a very attractive quality. Um, my celebrity crush today. I don't know. It's I know I've said these people before, but my mind. So I'm going to say it's a toss up between Eddie Redmayne and Adam Driver. But if they wanted to Eiffel Tower me, that would work, too. OK, okay. moving on. <laughs> Are you spiritual? Yes. Absolutely. I have done a great deal of healing, especially in the last couple of years. And I have a 
a morning ritual that I'll probably get into after we finish today. I meditate every day. I do um, an oracle cards. I pull a card every morning and I journal. And I talk a lot about um, energy and and the power of intention, the universe. And, I, you know, I'm just aware that this is all a really brilliant accident. And I'm so grateful. And I think we do spend our lives trying to understand this miraculous, strange thing, you know. So she's a witch. <laughs> yes. I, I, it was my birthday two days ago and we had a full bonfire and we did a circle and we like, it was a full thing, releasing mm-hmm. things and calling in things. We burned things in the fire. Trust. Yes. I'm, I'm all that. It. I'm all about that. I know. Oh, um, <laughs> I just uh, had my first time uh, practicing or, or working with a script which I was gifted at the Buckland Museum of Witchcraft, <laughs> which was a wonderful pilgrimage. And right now I can't, I want to say it was in Detroit. I can't remember what um, city we were in, <laughs> but the Buckland Witchcraft, um, I was gifted a scrying mirror, which is, you know, like a black... Dreaming and crying? <laughs> It's um it's like a black void mirror and you kind of just stare into it and and images kind of like appear and it's for divination essentially. I didn't divine anything but I stared into it for an hour and um spent a lot of that time crying and it was very healing. Um so <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> <laughs> Cassandra, my last question for you is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Waterfalls by TLC. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And I I I know the rap. I know the full rap. No, I knew you knew the rap. I was going to say there uh kids at my daycare used to sing that song wrong. They would sing, "Don't go chasing water faucets." <laughs> Oh, well, don't do that either. No, <laughs> don't don't go chasing anything. What's yours is what's meant for you is yours, right? If you have to chase it, it's not for you. It's not. For <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I this was such a lovely chat. I love you. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and thank you so much for being my guest today. <laughs> thank you. Love you, Jinxie. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx, Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. Oh. Mom! To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.